If you like rap music, then you might like this. If you like rap music, then you might like this. Secret Skin. It's my rap podcast. And it's weekly now. This is Secret Skin, Weekly Secret Skin. This is Secret Skin, Weekly Secret Skin. Yeah! My name is Open Mike Eagle. Welcome to Secret Skin. To all my Scandinavians, Principal Skinners, Co Skin Tell Pro, Skinstagrammers. You should all be Skinstagrammers. Like Kelsey Grammar or Spencer Grammar. But Skinstagrammers will make it make sense later. On this episode of the podcast, we have an interview with my good friend, rapper Uncommon NASA. I'm in LA this week. Me and Dave Serengeti, we head to Europe in just a week and a half. It's not much time. We're going to be in the UK, in France, in Lyon, in Germany, in Munich, in Berlin. Geneva, Switzerland, Vienna, Austria, get a ticket now. Now. And when I'm over there, I'm going to be recording my podcast intros because the show is show is weekly now. This is Secret Skin, weekly Secret Skin. This is Secret Skin, weekly Secret Skin. Yeah. Yeah. Open mic eagle in the house. That's me. Man. I went to an independent wrestling show last night. Wrestling. Put on by the group PWG. As we all know, I'm a wrestling fan. I resist the urge to talk about it every day. Every day? To someone. Who? To somebody. Who? To you. Okay. Uh, It was about 400 people in this room. It was a small place. The ring took up most of the space some people were spit on next to me this guy in front of me uh his chair got broken by somebody doing like a audience dive it was very dangerous they were selling beer there in pictures everybody was buying pictures i'm like why is everybody buying pictures i get in the beer line and i'm waiting there for a good 30 minutes and when i get to the bar I see various bottles of alcohol, so I asked the bartender, is this uh, a full bar? And she says yes, so I order two whiskey gingers, and they were both for me. Because the last thing I wanted to do was stand in line, a line that wrapped around the ring for 30 minutes at an independent wrestling show. So I bought two whiskey gingers, and they tasted terrible. Bad. Might have been the worst things I've ever paid for in my life that I bought and drank on purpose. I'll tell you something about this PWG show. It's the time of my life. Ah, oh, loved it. The time of my life. Damn. I wanted to do my intro there yesterday. I was sitting with a with a good pal of mine. He's actually a famous comedian, but I'm not going to say his name because we didn't do anything uh, publicly to let people know that we were there together. So I'm going to keep his name identity, but his name identity. I'm going to keep his secret. His name, his secret, name a secret, his identity, a secret. Those three words make sense somehow. Should have did my intro there, but I didn't. The new intro is thinking of places where I should have done my intro. 
And I have to do that now all the time because Secret Skin, your favorite podcast, favorite, is now weekly. This is Secret Skin, Weekly Secret Skin. This is Secret Skin, Weekly Secret Skin. Oh, guys. Also, hurt myself this week today. I hurt myself real bad. Uh, I was doing yoga. I've been doing yoga a lot lately. I am at war with my belly fat. I'm tired of seeing my belly fat uh, ruin, ruin otherwise awesome photographs. So... I'm doing yoga and uh this week was the first time i did yoga with the only instructor at the studio that i go to who is a dude a dude for some reason i knew that going to him whatever the first time i decided to go to him was going to be eventful it was in two ways for one he hurt me hurt my back real bad i was doing some twist and went too deep or something but there was this other thing when I was in his class, I guess I take a lot of yoga lately, so sometimes I tune out and I don't hear all the instructions. But every now and then I kept hearing this sound. Anyway, you know what? That's what I'll do. I will reenact it. Alright guys, lower down, chaturanga. Inhale, up dog. Exhale, downward dog. And hold that for five, four, Three, two, one. So the sound that I keep hearing uh, is him saying two, uh, but he says it like too cool. And um, and he goes two. And at first I was hearing it out of context and I'm like, is he saying soup? Is that like short for super? Is that his way to try to tell us we're all doing a really good job? But no, um, he kept doing this. All right, exhale, fold forward. Inhale, chair pose. We're going to hold this, you guys, for three breaths. Three, two, one, and fold forward. So something, uh, so somehow trying not to laugh at that, I think I hurt myself. And even listening to myself do it in my uh, spectacular reenactment, I can hear myself not saying it quite as annoying as he did. I wish I could communicate it to you. Next time, I might sneak uh, an entire recording rig into yoga so that I can record him saying, Tew. way too cool, and try not to laugh and record the sound of myself probably being heard again. Don't hurt me again. Don't, don't, don't hurt me again. And the moral of that story is that I, open Mike Eagle, am a very immature person. And this week on the show, we have rapper, producer, and label head, Uncommon NASA. He's a New York Underground rapper, and he introduced me to the New York Underground by booking me on his annual show called Yule Prague. Before that, all of my New York shows were boo-boo. They were trash. But um, he introduced me to people like Primrock and Billy Woods, uh, cats I still work with to this day. Um, So I caught up with him in New York and he talked to me about how his own career is starting to take off in terms of touring and uh, putting out projects that are receiving more recognition. Him being the last vestige of um, 
of an independent movement. Um, he used to be an engineer at a Definitive Jux recording, which is a label that was uh, started by LP of Company Flow, uh, currently of um, of Run the Jewels. Uh, they put out classic releases by like Aesop Rock and Cannibal Ox, and he engineered, recorded, and, and I'm not sure how much mixing and mastering he did, but he worked a lot on um, those classic projects that came out of that label at the time. He's coined the term prog rap, which is short for progressive rap, as a way to describe what he does. He's a very opinionated person. You can find him on the internet in heated debates with someone over something rap or social justice related. Man, we got guests coming wild, wild and plenty because... This is secret skin, weekly secret skin, this is weekly secret stuff. Tried to do that on time, it didn't work. You guys have homework. You guys have homework. You guys have homework. I need you guys to send in your voice recorded questions. Record them on your phone, say it into your voice memo, send it to omibooking.com. Wanna have some fun with those? Uh, I'll chop them up make um knowing beats out of them and uh i don't know we'll answer them i'll answer them in the way that amuses me most which will be fun i need you guys to subscribe and rate and review secret skin on itunes and please please support our sponsors it's never too late to do any of these things you can do them right now you can do them in a minute you can do them tomorrow but please do them rate and review Check out old shows, let your friends know. Support our sponsors. Helps keep my podcast free, free, free. This is Secret Skin, Weekly Secret Skin. This is Secret Skin, Weekly Secret Skin. When I first met you, I think it was just straight up NASA, and it was also Adam yeah. Warlock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like I, um, I mean, I've been NASA for years, obviously, and um, at a certain point when my group dissolved, what was the group? Uh, it was a group called the Presence. Okay. And when that fell apart, I kind of felt like this impetus to to just lash out with this new persona mm-hmm. or alias, and it was kind of, for all intents and purposes, kind of a waste of time. It kind of just was like a brand that didn't go anywhere. And now that's anything. that's the Adam Warlock brand. Yeah, Adam okay. Warlock stuff. Yeah. So how, come, so how then, come it didn't go anywhere? What's what stifled did you think? Um, I think a couple things. I think a like naming yourself after a comic book character is super like hit or miss. Okay, it's either going to really work like Jean Grey, or it's going to be kind of whatever like. Adam Warlock. Okay. You know I mean? like, okay, I guess I guess so, you didn't you didn't pick the character with the most yeah, yeah. visibility, I yes, guess. Okay. Exactly. I, that so, makes sense. It was just weird and like, you know, kind of walking into places being NASA or being, you know, my, my regular name, like you walk in and people are like, Yo, what's up, Adam? I was kinda like, 
<laughs> oh, oh, shit, they're talking to me. Oh, okay. And um, I don't know. I went through a couple of different things for a while. I took the Warlock off of it. And then, like, I remember I did a show in Connecticut and I got introduced. And they're like, it's Adam. And I was uh, kind of like, oh, man, this is not going to work. This is, this is not the move. This is not right. So it's I Jeff. Kinda, yeah, I kind of like went back because that's not even my name. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, like, so if you're going to have a first you know, name, yeah. yeah. Um, so I. Um, I went back and, you know, I had been Uncommon Nessa on Twitter for a long time. And I was like, why the fuck am I not just identifying myself as Uncommon Nessa? And once I did that, it sort of solidified my quote air quotes brand. Right. And set me out on sort of a more consistent path as far as like releasing and making music and, and people identifying with who I was. And it, it kind of brought everything together, like the label that I had been running, Uncommon Records, was going through a different phase in terms of being more focused on my music and right. my production and NASA being my actual name that people knew me for bringing those things together it was everything that people knew me for and it worked do life research ever halfway the rest is worth defending do life research ever halfway is your life older just pending do life research last ever halfway? See it all before it's ending. Do life research last ever halfway? Live life full before ascending. Right, because when I met you, uh, uh, so I, okay, there was the Nas and Adam Warlock, um, you know, the different brands, but I feel like I knew you primarily through Uncommon Records. Like, right. That seemed to be the big overarching flag. Sure. Uh, the Orange Army. Yeah, you yeah. You know what absolutely. I mean? And, um, yeah. You know, now me being on the West Coast, um, I didn't become familiar uh, with a lot of what was going on out here until, you know, I linked up with you sure. and cats like Billy Woods and Prim Rock and kind of like, oh, okay, this is the scene out here. You know yeah. what I mean? But um, it was cool to see that you kind of already had like a fan base, like, you know, and, and you know, a growing one, of course. Sure, of course. But um, and they were all branded and everybody was Orange Army right. and everybody's... um. You know, all the Twitter people who followed had the orange yeah, horse yeah. and all that. So um, what was the state of the label like then would be my first question. Sure. Like, because you were you said you it wasn't focused on your music. So what was it focused on? I mean, I, I tell people all the time, like uh, at that point, and I, I don't regret anything that I did with the label at all. I For mean, sure. Was, you know, but nor, nor but, should you. Yeah. Right. Uh, but at that point, I think I was more a guy who ran a label who also made music instead of a musician that owned a label. Okay. And I kind of wanted to flip those two things. What, what, what would you say the difference between the two? Um, you know, the difference is I, I took more of a background kind of role. You know, I mean, I'm sure you know the, the amount of, of hustle and work you got to put in into promoting records. Right. So for about 10 years, I had put a lot of hustle into promoting records that weren't particularly produced by me, nor had me doing anything artistic on them. Right. And that's awesome because I got to put out great records and meet great people, you know, um, Aeon Gray and Acid Rain and, you know, the list kind of goes on and on. But that being said, like, when you start to get to certain age milestones, yeah. you get to that point where you look around and you're like, yo, I have this record label and I've produced two records in 10 years mm. and the only shit that i really put out is under some alias or in a group that doesn't exist anymore right and it's like all right it's time to organize this house you mm -hmm. know and that's the difference between then and now i mean you, you had mentioned the orange army thing i mean it was the height of 
of the Uncommon Records period, like the first period or the first half of it, was when I came up with this idea to do like the Orange Army stickers, and I sent them to people, and people right. would hook them up in their towns, and then they would send me the pictures back, right. and we would post them. And I mean, I got you know such a huge response off of that. I was totally surprised. I thought it was going to be like a handful of people. Right. And like there's stickers, people text me all the time. They'll take a picture of my sticker somewhere and text it to me, and I'll be like, "I've never been to that city." Yeah, like, that's cool. You know, that's you funny know? though, because that's really like old school indie record stuff, yeah. man. Like Loud used to do that, right? You know what course. I mean? Like that's kind of how yeah. indie, especially indie rap, is kind of how it's always kind of worked. Mm-hmm. You know, it being somebody in a central place sending out materials and getting like little chapters almost started with with street teams all over the country. You well, know? at that time. I think the big thing for that is, A, it was something that people could participate in the label with for free Mm because I was sending them out for free. It wasn't like I was charging people money for stickers. And it was tangible. Right. And, you know, you're talking about 2010 or so, Mm -hmm. you know, 2011, 2010, 2009. That was the height of that, I believe. And at that time, it was sort of like just pre-vinyl boom Mm -hmm. and sort of the height of the internet, everything being completely digital and mechanized. Right. So I think that, the physical interaction of like getting a sticker and taking a picture of it and sending it in and right. seeing it. It was like the best of both worlds and mm-hmm. it worked as a, as a strategy. Then I tried to kind of reiterate it a few times a few years later and it just didn't have the same buzz. Mm-hmm. It just, so it, it, it definitely taught me, I mean, everything that I do kind of teaches you a lesson. And, and for me, that lesson was, you know, you will hit something right at the right moment. Certain the timing. things hit at the timing is everything. And right. like you can't reproduce timing that existed in the past for any kind of project Mm -hmm. critically a turnstile spiritually you can feel it be there's something in the air with my feelings be a liquidity like frozen unfrozen expansion divides the sidewalk you stand on a far fissure electricity not the franklin but what's inside of me heartbeats but not biologically like I said, I'm on the West Coast. I'm kind of like from the Project Blow lineage, and that's, you know, changed and not quite as prevalent as it once was, even though it still exists. It's just, you know, it's different. It's a lot older now. It's not sure. as, you know, uh, robust of a presence. Um, you, in in terms of my perspective, are like from the Def Jux family tree, Definitive Jux, or Jux. Sure. Or, I don't know how you jokes. And, you know, and there's been different pockets of where indie rap has happened, like all around the country. Sure. Um, and I look at me, yourself, uh, cats like Woods, cats in uh, Minneapolis, like Doomtree that we've we talked about before we started taping. And it seems to me that, a lot, that in a lot of cases, we're kind of like leftovers from this era that kind of yeah. happened. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, well, first of all, did... Anything that uh, that you learned, because you worked with Def Jux, right? Sure. You were an engineer? Yeah, I was their main engineer at the time. Yeah. Um, does it, was there anything that you picked up there that you wanted to make sure you brought into your label when you started it? Um, I think more so it was more what not to do in I a see. lot of cases. I hear you. You know, um, I think that label was run well for what it was. It was obviously built in a time that no longer exists. Um, so it's, it's tough to say what I wanted to bring out of it. I think what it did, you know, you gotta, you know, keep in context. I was a very young man when I was working there. So seeing that label kind of grow and, 
you know, all that, that kind of inspired me to want to do a label mm-hmm. more so than anything else as far as like taking anything directly away. I think the thing about that period, jokes aside, is I come from the era where cats would do music and they would quit their job and they would go on tour and they would have money right? and they'd be, they would live off of music, if not immediately, almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And so I came up. You know, as a guy that was 20, 21, 22, 23, you know, seeing that. Right. You know, seeing guys that were five years my senior doing that. And I had the exact same experience with the blow. Right. And not, you know, obviously these guys didn't get, like, filthy rich or anything. But they were living. But they were living, and they were living as artists. They woke up in the morning, and they were the artists that they were, and that was it. There Mm -hmm. was no other job that they had to go and do. Um, I mean, I knew guys from that period that hadn't worked a quote unquote real job since they were like 18. Right. You know, and I was sort of in this weird middle ground where like, you know, when I was at that label, I was a paid employee, you know, I mean, I was homies, but I was still there to get money and right. I was there to be paid. You were part of and the I had economy. a job. Yeah. I was part, but, and that's the thing that I've talked about a lot online and, and in general is just, you know, people can really start to demonize certain things people really demonize sort of the, the, the 90s and late 90s major label infrastructure. But that major label infrastructure got a lot of like really obscure or left field artists heard by a lot of people. You're Absolutely. talking about Project Blow. Yeah. You know, Freestyle Fellowship was on a major label subsidiary. AC Alone was yeah. on Capitol. Exactly. That's yeah. how. That's, that's exactly yeah. how I heard him in right. Chicago was that mm-hmm. Capitol Records was putting his music out. Yeah. And, you know, I mean... You can't get you can't get someone like that signed to capital these days. No, of course you not. You know there are there the budgets are, aren't there. The budgets aren't there to take those sorts of risks. Exactly. And all that stuff, you know, to to borrow a term, like sort of trickles down to where you've got your your goal at that time when starting an indie label was to become a subsidiary of a major label. Mm-hmm. That was the whole idea behind indie labels. That's why you know you saw labels like you know a little bit before my time like nervous or or you know things that wu-tang was doing like right. those things grew into subsidiaries i mean yeah even going back further if you look at like pop music like a, a label i think like sire i think right. like madonna started that right. you know what i mean and then now it's like okay it's just when you hear it you almost just immediately think of warner yeah. but that started as like her little vanity label. yeah i mean i remember rowdy records pendulum you yeah know? i mean you can go on and on with all these like little kitschy sort of labels that put out really dope music back then that would have never been heard by anyone else. I mean, otherwise. So I was part of that economy, you know what I mean? And that trickled down to the indie labels. You know, at that time, Caroline Distribution was sort of like the the breadwinner in terms of indie hip-hop and indie music, putting indie labels on the same level as majors. Mm -hmm. And eventually that whole system sort of rotted away. And there are things that are great about that system going away, and there are things that are terrible about that system going away. Right. And I think a huge reason that happened is because people stopped buying music. Absolutely. So, you know, there's not as much money in the economy. So those big labels have to, you know, because they're all focused on the bottom line. They get rid of first those those arms of their company that were making fringe music mm-hmm. that that market was the first market to stop oh, buying yeah, shit. That, that, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. that, we were the first ones the first to, to pirate yeah. yeah um we were the first ones to start downloading shit so um you know we kind of caused mm-hmm. those things to go away but that leads me 
back to now, right? Um, because what that's also saying is that that market that we came up in, like mm-hmm. we were consumers, and even though we were part sure. of the culture too, we were consumers sure. of it. Um, and since that market stopped buying music, it's like, and I think about this a lot too in terms of what we do. Like, yeah. who do you think is your market now since that market is kind of gone? Market financially? Yeah. Like, who, um, who are you selling? Who do you sell I'm records selling to? records to, I think, two groups of people. I think I'm selling records, first and foremost, to people like myself and yeah. like yourself yeah. that are of the age where they respect musicians and they come from that culture and, and blah, blah, blah. You right. know what I mean? They're just they're, they're, Their habits are formed. When they like something, they will pay for it because they are conditioned to be So, like way. the leftover hip-hop yes. hits, basically. The second group okay. is... Maybe a little bit more interesting, a little more exciting that I do see is that there is sort of a generation skip. Mm-hmm. So, like, the middle generation between ours and the next, th- those those fools just don't buy music. They just, they refuse. You right. know what I mean? Like, they, maybe they'll buy your shit on vinyl if you have it. But you have to reach, what a lot of people don't understand, is you have to reach a certain status and a certain following in order to have vinyl to begin with. Exactly. And you can't get from, this is a bridge to nowhere. You can't get from here to there without you know, something in between. Sure. That being said, the other audience is the is the, the current generation. You know, I'll see people, you know, online, like, you know, people will tweet me and be like, pick up on the album, and I'll look at their picture, and I'll be like, damn, this motherfucker's like 16 years yeah. old. You know, and, and these are people that are buying my music, you know, because if you're between 16 and, like, 21, I think you, you maybe take money and art a little bit more seriously because your generation is certainly a lot more stressed than the generation before you. I see. You know, you're turning on the television and seeing people murdered by police and you're seeing wars go on and you're seeing all sorts of insanity on the television and, and f- fuck the television. You're probably experiencing it in your real life. Right. And I think it's just grounded this generation of kids. It's not everybody. It's not all kids. Mm-hmm. It's not all young folks. But I think that that is a large part of the people that, that do buy my stuff. When I go to shows and I perform, you know, a lot of times the youngest faces in the crowd are the ones that want the vinyl. You know? So, now you do have a day job situation sure right so how have you been able to make touring work for you if you kind of have restrictions on your time i've been really lucky in that regard um or or fortunate however you want to say it i i you know worked on my career i've i've ended up in broadcasting and uh that's through hard work too and uh, luckily, I've I've put myself in a position where I make okay money. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm married. My wife makes okay money. Mm-hmm. We have an okay place, an yeah. okay car. Right. And I, I have a, a decent amount of vacation time. Right. And my job sort of like flexes like different days. So, you know, I don't have set days off. So I could always be like, hey, I've got to do this. Can you give me a Tuesday off that week? Okay. So I don't ever have to use a vacation day for that stuff. So I've got all my blocks to go sure, out. Sure. That being said, you know, I was just talking to, to somebody yesterday about like the whole work art balance. And, um, you know, there are things that I can't do because I have a 24, uh, not 24, nine to five right. situation. And 
you know, I have responsibilities where I need to keep that at this point. Circles back to what we were talking about with the roots of where we come from in terms of like seeing people not have to do that. Right. Um, you know, for me, like the hunger will always be there to live off of the music, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of how safe or, or happy I am at my job, which I am at this point. Um, that's what keeps me going. You know, the, the commerce part of the art is still part of it, even though I'm not a person trying to make commercial per se music. Um, and balancing that is cool. But as far as my job, like I said, I do have a fortunate situation where everyone there knows what I do. Mm-hmm. They know my name when I rap. They right. know that I rap and then I make hip hop. They're all pretty much cool with it. My bosses are cool with it. Uh, when I went to the interview at this job, they knew who I was. Wow. Like they were like sat down in the interview and they were like, so you mixed bazooka tooth. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I got this job. <laughs> in good shape here. Um, it's so, a, it's you know, they, they were Aesop rocks bazooka tooth for those yes, who aren't. Yeah. Who, who are. They were, you know, they were, they were familiar with who I was. And, and so being an artist there in that environment has always been natural. Whereas in other jobs I've had, you have to like go through this whole rigmarole while you're not famous. Right. You know, and it's fucking terrible <laughs> um, to have to explain that to people at your job. Um, but at this job, you don't really have to do that. A lot of, a lot of the people I work with are actually former music industry okay. people nice. that we all say we're music industry refugees like mm-hmm. working in broadcasting. So um, it's been cool. And people are flexible. You tell them you want six days off to go to the Midwest and play in Chicago. They're like, cool. Here it is. <laughs> You know, as long as it's not a busy time, you're good to go. So how has touring been uh, without, I mean, because you are, you are on your own label. You're doing mm-hmm. your own press. Uh, I'm yeah. assuming you're booking your own Absolutely. shows. Yeah. Um, what's, what's that experience been like? Um, it's been good, mostly, mm-hmm. you know. Um, again, how, how long would you say you've been hitting the road pretty consistently? Um, I have been consistently hitting the road since the beginning, uh, since the end of 2013. Okay. So it's literally really just been two years and I've been out six times in two years. I'll go out for a mini tour in December and I've done seven tours altogether. The first time I went out was 2012. You know, the first shows I did out of state or out of the tri-state were like in South by. Okay. You know, that like, year I mean, we were I, all down. Yeah. There. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I was <laughs> and a whole nother story, but, um, but I mean, that was the first time I had really gotten on a plane and flown somewhere to rap. Right. I mean, I, I spent a lot of my twenties doing a lot of different things that were not me rapping on stages. Hmm. You know, what were you it was doing? engineering okay. in the first part of my twenties, running a label in my second part of my twenties, working hard in my you know personal life, being broke, you know, like those kind of things like distracted me from from doing that. And I think you I also had to get to the point where I felt comfortable in my product. Right. You know, and I, I I wasn't until maybe the last two years. And now I know when I when I do shows, I know I have the material. It's just a matter of stepping up to the plate and performing it correctly. Right. But, you know, I know that I have what it what what people hopefully will, will grow to in, in the right situation. I do like that you've, or at some point, I don't know if you still do, you use the, the prog rap term. Is that yeah, still something you embrace? Yeah, I still do. Embrace? Yeah, for sure. Because uh, um, okay. I always, you know, when I was in L.A. hollering art rap, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. You know, and, and notice you're in New York, prog rap. And yeah, it's like, yeah, you know, We're both sure. yeah, yeah. basically trying to figure out, you know. How to define ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but what, what do you, what do you, what does prog rap mean to you? Um, to me, you know, it's the way that that formed for me personally 
was through uh, when I grew up. I didn't like rock music at all. I didn't. I just didn't listen to any rock music until I was in my twenties. And when I was um, about night, well, I was probably like seventeen, actually. I should say, I was interning at a recording studio for the first time, and the old timers were playing Gentle Giant. And I was like, well, what's this? Mm. I was like, this is rock music I can fuck with. And I started listening to General Giant and Emerson, Lincoln Palmer and King Crimson mm-hmm. and all those bands. And, of course, I dug deeper later on. But um, that shit really inspired me. And right at that time was sort of like when Fun Crusher came out and Juggernaut is this and, a, and Yeshua. Okay, so that's and Company I, Flow and, yeah. and the beginning of the Def Jones yeah. kind of movement. It yeah. was it was more like Fondalum era. Right, right, you right. You know, like that whole raucous, late yeah. era, Stretch Armstrong, uh, Stretch and Bob era and, and Raucous and... You know, the hip-hop music that was coming out at the time, even like, even by 99, like Anti-Pop Consortium had come along, mm-hmm. and Sonic Sum, and Mike Ladd, and all those folks, like, I started to see these parallels. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and it was the timing of the genre was hitting that point at the same time, and I was like, this is like, this is progressive hip-hop. Right. You know, and that, I, I had come up with that term in my head that far back, mm-hmm. into like 98, 99, 2000. And uh, when I started the label, I was like, "This is what I'm gonna, I'm gonna put my banner behind this." Right. And uh, that's what it meant to me. Other people had other interpretations of it online that they had created for themselves because progressive is not a very hard word to come up with. So what what were the you know? interpretations? I, you know, I found early on, like some people were using progressive sort of more of as like a, a political term or like as a term to express conscious. <laughs> okay, so like left, 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 right, like left, politics, left wing. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, like yeah. Instead of like left field. Music. I see what you mean. And. Um, over time, I think my definition won out over those other ones. And, <laughs> you know, a lot of people, you know, shout out to everybody that did pick it up. A lot of I, I see a lot of artists these days calling themselves progressive hip hop artists. Hmm. And I know that probably seven out of ten of them in some way, six degrees of separation, got it from me starting that. I was listening to New York uh, Telephone last night. Sort awesome record. Thank you. Um, paranoia or Perception. Right. OK. Paranoia um, keeps me safe. Fascinating song, because um, you don't strike me outwardly as a very paranoid person. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I mean, and I, <laughs> I, I, gotta, I want you, I'm putting on a really good <laughs> yeah. front. Then. I, I really, I want, I want to hear like, what are you paranoid about? Um, I think you know that song in particular is talking about like I was raised. Um, when I was coming up, my father was paranoid, schizophrenic. Oh, like clinically, yes, actual yeah. diagnosis. And you know, and and he's he's well now in terms of like being on his meds Word. and being, you know, well. So I grew up with that in my home. I grew up with a lot of mental illness in different parts of my family. Mm-hmm. Um, I always say all the time, like, if I didn't find music, I'd probably be on meds or in a hospital somewhere right. because, like, my brain is fucked. <laughs> but my genes are fucked. Everything is fucked. Um, you know, my wife and my music keep me from being locked up somewhere. Mm-hmm. But that being said, that song is sort of the the comparison of, like, clinical paranoia and in, in upbringing yeah. to like this music industry underground dance of like is this person talking to me because they think I can get them something uh. is this person 
you know, talking to me because of this reason or that reason, or is this a genuine person? And how many people, you know, and I got into this on the next song with Curmudgeon, it's sort of like overlapping concepts. You know, how many people do I really need to know? Right. You wow. know what I mean? Like at a certain point, I, I read this a long time ago, and I've kept it very front of brain. Um, they, they, there was an article written about CEOs of, of major companies and why people dislike them. Mm-hmm. And CEOs of major companies, whether you agree with corporate America or whatever, CEOs of a major company have to talk to thousands of people all the time. They have to have all these personal relationships. And they said eventually, if the human brain meets enough people, it will start to disassociate personalities between those different people. Hmm. And it won't be able to correctly, your brain won't be able to correctly distinguish who to trust, who to put faith in, who to tell things to, who to not tell things to, all that kind of shit. And it just fucks your whole social dynamic up. Wow. And and in the music business, obviously that's a big thing. You know, I mean I have to know, you know, who the guy booking shows in Pittsburgh is. Right. I have to know, you know, who who you know, what what producer I want to work with or or, you know, what fans are really cool to me that I'm interested in hearing what what people are who the strange people on Twitter are, you know, and like you have to kind of associate all these things and, and working in the scene here, even in New York, you know, you meet tons of people and some of them, if they're not trying to get something out of you, they're trying to get something out of the industry in general. Right. And you meet them and you can tell by the way they're talking already, they have all the wrong things in mind. (laughs) And you're just like, Whoa, okay. You have to go over here into this box with the the people over here. And I'm going to go talk to these people in this other box. And that was, you know, a lot of what paranoia perception is, is like who to trust when. Mm -hmm. And especially based on my upbringing, it affects me a lot differently, you know. Wow. So would you identify as a more paranoid person than you think an average Yeah, I think, um, you know, I mean, the whole thing is paranoia or perception. And, and, you know, a lot of times I give myself a lot of credit for being able to perceive, you know, genuineness in people. Sure. Obviously, it's not a hundred percent track record, <laughs> right. but I, I'd like to think that for the most part, I can judge character. And there's a certain point where, if you think about judging character in people long enough, you start to become a paranoid schizophrenic. Mm. You know what I mean? Like there, there is an overlap between those two things, and that's what the song was about, and that's what I deal with kind of all the time. Where I'm like, wait a minute, do I do I really feel like this person is not genuine, or am I just being super defensive right mm. now? You know, you talk about industry politics in terms of indie rap. Um, there doesn't seem to be much of a way to really get around that mm. at all. So how how have you dealt? I have, you know, taken these st- like the stone and squeezed all the goodness juice out of it that I could possibly do. I mean, I've I've been able to be fortunate enough to find and surround myself whether it's you know people that cover my music or people that buy the music or people that i collaborate Mm -hmm. with i've been able to create a decent network of of good people that i i feel like are good people and i don't mean you know moralistically i mean just have the right intentions in mind and are down to earth people that you know like yourself where we could just shoot the shit whatever we'll get up in any city if we're there at the same time just to chill other people you know you meet them and they they don't you know nah you know I don't really you know, it's like it's like you know it's like I gotta have a reason to come out I was like what the fuck are you talking I'm here like I'm the reason to come out if I'm not the reason to come out then then what the fuck are to you so you know um, some people like I said are out to get what they want to get and and I, I I laugh sometimes I'll see people that are 
well into their damn 40s and they still are on some thirsty shit right you know some chicanery and i'm just like i, I can't live my life that way i've mm-hmm. always been a very you know i've always tried to be a very truthful and down-to-earth person and that that's very important to me it's important right. to my music it's important to who i am and and i think that in terms of like the whole life experience thing a lot of me evolving as a musician and doing these last two to three records is me taking that aspect of my personality and myself and putting that into the music much more directly and much more efficiently. Than you were in the past? Yes, because the stuff in the group, a lot of it was politically charged, and some of my early solo, like Adam Warlock-era stuff, was just sort of rage, anger mm-hmm. stuff. And, and then I started to be like, okay, wait a minute. you know, I should write more stuff about the things that I'm thinking about mm. and concerned about every day. And that's when people will relate to me, and that sort of has worked to some degree. I got to say, and, and it's, I've known you about five years now, yeah. um, and our most of our interactions for a long time were just kind of over the internet, over Twitter. Sure, you used to seem like a lot angrier of a person. <laughs> I uh, I think it's I think there's two things there. I think I would like to think that I'm a less angry person. I think so because I think there's less angst, but I also think that now that you know me in real life, you are reading what I'm saying differently. You know what I mean? Too. Like people that know me read the things that I'll say on Twitter and they'll either like roll their eyes or shake their head <laughs> or they'll laugh because they hear my voice saying it right. in the way that I say things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, I, I hope that I'm, I'm a little less angry. I think I, that yeah, I, I think the think one so. thing that's different about my Twitter presence and my personality in real life is I am far less concerned with out and out politics. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Just do not care. Like, I don't consider civil rights or social justice politics. Mm. I consider that human interaction. So I'm very, you know, I try to be as active as I can in speaking out against police brutality and that sort of thing. Um, Racial issues, having those conversations. Um, But in terms of, like, you know, what health care bill is going to pass or or who's going to get elected to... Speaker of the House, or, <laughs> I, I could give zero fucks. And and five to six or seven years ago, you know, my Twitter persona probably did care about those things. I see. And uh, I can't, I can't understand why I did. But well, probably oh, watched too much Oberman. Let maybe me ask you this. All fired up. <laughs> That's funny. You but um, let me ask you this because I do see you get into combative, confrontational conversations with people. They're sure. not, you know, they're not like angry or sure. you know, they're not out of control. It happens. Yeah, but what? What what do you think incenses you? What do you think you if you see something you're like I'm gonna say something about right. that shit? What kind of thing is that? People that know me know that I like debate, mm-hmm. and I I think if if we can't argue we can't be friends. Right. That that's the philosophy that I take. So you know I've gotten into you know hanging out with people in real life. I've gotten into. Man, Willie Green and me, man, <laughs> I dude. Could, I could imagine. It's amazing, man. There are times it's just like blowout musical debates, and they're right. fun. I don't think he finds them very fun. <laughs> <laughs> he finds them very stressful. But I find them thrilling, you know? Like, that's exciting. That's what gets, you know, the blood pumping. And that's and those are the kind of things that I react to online. You know, I'm, I'm very – I think I, I fit a couple of patterns. You know, I'm very passionate about being serious about music, mm-hmm. taking it seriously, respecting – the culture knowing the history i'm serious about that i'm serious about being Mm anti-piracy and i'm serious about the racial dynamic in this country and those are the three things that like if you see me on twitter those are the things that i am genuinely like 
very defensive or, or ready to debate you right, about. Right, right. You know, okay. everything else is nonsense, That's honestly. <laughs> well, speaking of this uh, combative confrontation on Twitter, let people know where they can find you. <laughs> I am at Uncommon NASA. You can, you can go there and, and try to troll me. As people do sometimes. I'm sure. It happens. I've had, I've had people start egghead accounts just to heckle me about Damn. shit. Where I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, it's weird, man. Twitter will really warp people's sense of who you are yeah. and who they are, and and it's it's weird, man. It's, it, it's a it weird place. I, I for the most part am able to balance it because I'm I, I'm an only child. So um, when you grow up an only child, you don't have anyone to talk to. Mm-hmm. So you spend most of your teenage years, unless you have a lot of friends, which I did not, um, you know, talking things out in your head. Right. And Twitter is just that. Right. That's that's all Twitter is. It's like, oh, I'm, I think that that guy's shoes are too blue. <laughs> and like, you know, and then, you you know, and that's what Twitter is, you know. So um, that, that's why it has been a very good medium for me to kind of get my voice out and keep my sanity at times um, and get my music out there. I was there in 2008 when the only people on Twitter were J-Live, Jean Grey, and Quest. Right. And I, I was just like, oh, wow, this is, this is rap Twitter right now. Okay. <laughs> and then it grew over time, right. you know. So that was Uncommon NASA recorded live to tape in a hotel room in Queens. I think it was the exact one I was talking to Hari Kondabolu about. But um, shouts to uh, Uncommon NASA for being on the show. Uh, shouts to all you guys for listening, for continuing to listen. But please do remember that you have homework. A rating and a review on iTunes. A subscription. Um, your voice recorded questions. Those are really important. Uh, if you guys could send those to omebooking at gmail.com. That would be awesome. Would love to hear from you guys. But uh, from your own throat. From your own larynx. Is how I prefer to hear you guys. And insert your words into the show here. Um, yeah, send this stuff in. And please support our sponsors. That's how we keep the show every week for free. Free dollars. Zero, zero dollars. So, that's your homework. And do your homework. And then um, come back with proof that your homework is done. Or send it to me. Send me your homework. That'll work. Send me your homework. Because if you don't, it's going to be a lot of heck to pay. You hear me? You'll be paying some heck. I'm Open Mike Eagle. This is Secret Skin on the Infinite Guest Network.